0: Yeah, I mean, I was born and raised in Manhattan. You know, that's where I pretty much, you know, that's where I was born. You know, and I, the, the two stints in Astoria were probably six years, maybe each. So so I, you could say, you know, born and raised in Manhattan, Queens.
1: Did you ever end up in L.A.? At some point, there must have been some draw to go out there. You know, I, I go out
0: there to do business and um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a New Yorker at heart. Um, if I had, if I had to go out to LA for any period of time, I mean, it's beautiful. I, I every time when I'm out there, I love it, you know, but you know, when you, when your family, all your family's back on the East Coast, it's, you know, it, you know, like I said, if I had to do it, then there's no question about it. Very easy to do.
1: I've got a lot of friends in the entertainment industry, and they've all kind of slowly one by one gone out there. Everybody's been fleeing New York and. And I guess I'm surprised to some degree that it's still a requirement for people to be out there. Obviously, like everybody is doing stuff remotely, but... Yeah, you're right. You're actually, you're
0: actually right. You hit the nail on the head. That seems a bit absurd because, you know, now it's very easy. As a matter of fact, I do it myself uh, with Family Guy. I, I do all of my Family Guy stuff from my home studio and it's incredibly, it's incredibly uh, convenient
1: we're talking a pretty long chunk of time between jerky boys records. You're doing a lot of VO stuff. Is that, is that your primary gig at this point?
0: Yes, right now. Absolutely. And, and through the years, if you had a project you were working on or you were doing something that it's pretty much go, go, go all day long. I remember when I was doing uh, phoners for uh, major uh, radio companies, they, they would start at, you know, they would start at uh, five in the morning you know, and I'd have literally one radio show after another. So it, till it co- coincided with the West coast waking up and it, it, the schedules were brutal. And so, you, you know, you're talking at, in some cases, I remember doing, uh, you know, like eight or nine, maybe 10 radio shows in one morning and, uh, each of them get, I, I, they would get like, um, uh, 15 minutes to a half an hour, let's say, but it was, you know, the schedule can be, you know, bang, 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 you know, it's, 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 it, and it's all talking. You know, sometimes you're, you, you got to take care of your voice.
1: You have no problem talking or it seems talking for an extended period of time. Nope. You were doing live prank calls for radio or you were just calling in to shoot the shit? Yeah, no, I didn't, uh, I didn't have
0: anything to do with radio uh, ever it, until I became famous for what I did. And I actually hosted uh, the Stuttering John show. He, I think he he had a, he had to go away or go to the West Coast for something for I think a week or two. I, I, you know, we hosted the show and uh, it was it was all right. It was it was it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, I didn't I didn't do any radio until I hit the scene and, and was famous for what I was doing. You know, the whole uh, jerky voice thing. And then obviously I was invited on to. Morning shows, afternoon drives, you know, lots of radio, nighttime shows, you name it. Because what I did and what I what I do is like the perfect thing for radio.
1: That seems like it might have been a a nice transition for you at the time doing kind of a more regular radio program. Was that was that an avenue that you considered? Well, I remember.
0: uh, I I believe it was Tommy Mottola and and Mariah Carey. It was a long time ago, and they wanted me to do Z100 in New York City. And at the time, I was, you know, doing, you know, making a movie, and we were doing, you know, there's other stuff going on, lots of stuff. And the commitment to the time, I, 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 they, you, you'd have to be getting up at 3.30 in the morning, um, and that's the time I was strolling in back then. So I couldn't, there was no way on earth that I could have made that commitment at that time. It, it, radio is, is, is a perfect, it's a perfect avenue for me to go down.
1: Absolutely. Your career specifically, or at least kind of the career with the Jerky Boys, I assume it must have been the case where everybody wants you all at the same time. You know, all of a sudden you're, you're fielding all these offers. And then, I don't know, does it just sort of, does it dry up to some degree overnight? It depends. I mean,
0: look at the same power of the Jerky Boys. I mean, it, it's pretty incredible to go over all of these decades and maintain a, uh, like a massive following. And, uh, you know, Seth MacFarlane, he said it best. He he's, he's, he's tells a story. So we're recording Family Guy, and I got my, my cans on, and I'm in New York City, and Seth is in my cans. He's like, and he's like, John, I got to tell you a funny story. So I'm on my way into work today. Guy in the car next to me, he's, he's, he's got to be thinking I'm out of my freaking mind. He says, I'm haunched over, I'm pissing myself, dying laughing. And he goes, "What? I'm listening to the Jerky Boys. He goes, Johnny, I'm telling you, it's still the funniest thing I ever heard. He says, in his exact words, he goes, it's effing timeless. For whatever reason, it, the, the, the characters are beloved and, and Jerky Boys fans. Some of them have been there from the very beginning. And, and I've got tons of, of new fans from younger generations. And so it, it's amazing. Like I said, the, the staying power. And, and I believe the staying power is from the characters themselves. Because these there's characters are, are, are much beloved.
1: At some point, though, you felt that it was need to, if not retire them, at least kind of put them on some kind of extended hiatus did it feel that for that time period that jerky boys had run their course
0: no not at all as a matter of fact i never went away i never went anywhere i i, I was doing commercials i was doing you know uh sell you know doing anheuser bush budweiser uh you know the jerk and and using my characters so I, I was using them for other things but i wasn't i just wasn't making any records so and the response to this new record and and coming back has been absolutely fantastic, which is incredible because that's, you know, that gets back to, again, talking about, you know, over the years. how So, but for me personally, and remember, I was, this is also my 19th season on Family Guy. You got that, you got this. And like I said, you know, doing other situations with the characters, but just not a record. So that's why this is kind of cool that it's here now. And, and um, it's really something else. And, and I, I got the original artist, my, my artist, Sean Taggart, who everybody knows Sean, he's, his work is tremendous. And he's been with me since day one. So Sean and I go back all the way, all the way. And he he uh, he did the uh, brand new album cover, which is, uh, I think it's outstanding. And I think people are going to love it.
1: Part of the reason why I ask is because, you know, I assume like at a certain point, you know, what's the old the, kind of the rock and roll adage of always of leap, always leave them wanting more. You know, obviously, if, if there had been a, a, a record every single year for the past 25, 30 years, there wouldn't be as much excitement for a return.
0: Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. It's, it's, there's a number of ways you can look at it. But um, the good news is, you know, people have been really, I, I could even go as far as to say they've been kind of pissed off Over the years and asking me and writing me letters and sending me emails and and really pissed off that like Johnny, man, you got you got to drop another record, man. We need we need more stuff. You know, even uh, even McFarlane said uh, more than once, Johnny, you got to get back in the studio, man. You got to make just you got to make another record. And and because at Family Guy, they used to listen to all my records in the writer's room. I'm just glad I did it.
1: I'm really glad I did it. When Seth MacFarlane is giving you creative advice, you, you should probably heed it. Well, he
0: grew up on my stuff. He was, yeah, he was, just a, he was just a little kid, and he was a huge uh, Jerky Boys fan. So that's how I became part of that show. I actually read for the main character. I read for Peter. But, uh, so it's, yeah, it was like a full circle kind of thing where Seth is uh, you know, telling me, come on, man, you gotta, we got we to get another record. You got to get more stuff out there. So yeah, you're right. It's like a
1: full circle deal. I've heard you describe your creative process, or, or at least a process for putting the records together, and it sounds like it's actually fairly quick. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're these are kind of like mostly first takes. It's not like you're really spending like months and months workshopping. So the process of actually doing a record is a relatively short amount of time.
0: Yeah, that was that was then. It was. It's a whole different world you're living in now. Um, that's why this. This new this new record, I was like, it, it's it's a different process because today everybody everybody and their mother is sitting around waiting to be pranked. There's pranks this, pranks that, pranks that. A lot of people today, if something seems maybe just a little amiss, they're like, um, "Hey, am I being pranked?" Because that's all they see. That's all they know. So, it's it's either that or nobody answers phones anymore. So it's a very different climate. So you have to work a lot. You have to work, literally, you have to work 20 times harder to make it happen. Uh, as opposed to, a good example, let's say when I was making Jerky Boys 2. When I was making Jerky Boys 2, i know, I to say, you know, say i you know, sit down, just as sure as we're sitting here right now. I'd sit down, have my boom box. I'd have my, uh, my old uh, speakerphone. And I would just go. Just make one, put it on the side. Make one, put it on the side. I make, you know, 20 calls, 23 calls, whatever it was, 24 calls. Go back through them and, you know, and and every single one of them is good, good, good. These are all good. These are all usable. And they were just, that's just, that's how fast I, I was able to produce Jerky Boys too. make Jerky Boys too. It was a, a real, like a shock, a rude awakening to, you know, in the, let's put it this way: the last over the last three months, let's say, over the last three months, maybe maybe four months. You know, there's a couple that I did a, about a year, year and a half ago, but only about maybe two of those. I think I think Garbo's is one of them, and there might be one one other that I did about a year, year and a half ago. Still brand new, brand new material. But the, re- the, le- the, the rest of the calls were made within the last three months, two to two to three months. And um, like I said, it was definitely, definitely. You know, at points, you know, you're like, oh my god, you know. So it's it's just, it was just a lot of extra work.
1: How was it that you were able to for the second one that you were able to do that with? It sounds like almost like no, no editing at all. That you weren't that you weren't throwing any of them out. Were you considering sort of you know taking a little bit more time to to put it together to to pick the best ones to curate a little bit more?
0: No, no. Number two. Number two, but they were all very, very, like, I guess the best word you could use is like magic, man. They were all, they all just flowed so nicely. Um, number three was incredible. Introducing five new characters and uh, also having, for the first time, calls coming in. Number four was, was fantastic, and it was interactive for computers back in the day. So you could put it in your CD-ROM, I believe, or whatever they used to call it, and you, and, and you could actually go into their apartments, you had to figure out a way to get into the elevator then you had to figure out a way to get into Saul's apartment and all their apartments and you could mess around with them and so number 4 was great and number 5 was fantastic but they were all it was it was it, it was it was a uh, smooth go smooth go and but again you have to remember that's you know that was many years ago um and i guess you know people people today though for whatever reason they just they don't want to answer the phones or you know it's just, like I said, it's more, just, it's, it, it just is not as easy as it was then. And there's probably reasons for that if you want to try to figure it out. But, you know, it's, but it's.
1: I, I suspect part of the reason why is because the Jerky Boys existed for two decades. Part of the reason why people are, uh, assume that things are pranks are, are more suspicious is because there was you and there were, there were some other prominent groups that were actually calling people up and pranking them.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's for sure. When the Jerky Boys hit the scene, the only thing that was reality or shock value before the Jerky Boys was uh, Alan Funt. You ever, you, do you remember you,
1: Alan Funt? Candid Camera, is that right? Yes, yeah.
0: yes. And, um, and then the Jerky Boys came along and, and people were like, oh my God. And they'd make a tape and they'd make some tapes for their friends and they'd give them a tape, and a cassette tape, and they would say, you're not going to believe this. You've got to hear this. And it's, it's all real. And, uh, and the rest is history, man. Everybody made tapes for their families and their friends. And, you know, that just crazy.
1: At what point was it clear that this thing that you were doing, I assume that you started doing on a lark, at what point was it clear that like, oh, this is actually, I can actually earn a living doing this?
0: It was, uh, it was going through the motions of seeing, seeing something that you created for your inside, your friends, your family, you know, just goofing around doing it, you know, and knowing though that I had some great characters and getting them on tape, interacting with other human beings. And then what happened was the process. For example, Howard Stern, he, you know, he, he's got a uh, terrestrial radio. He's got millions and millions of listeners, a tremendous audience. And Howard Stern gets a hold of it and loves it. And, and and telling people on the air, he's like, folks, if anybody knows who this Frank Rizzo guy is, you got to call into the studio. Please let me. He's like, this is the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. And when you got Stern blowing it up like that, people are calling me. Johnny, got to turn on the radio. Howard's talking about you. Howard's playing your stuff. That's pretty, pretty, uh, you know, you're, you're, I, and I never was able to catch it. I was like, "What you heard?" And people were like, "Oh man, you missed it." I, I was never able uh, to catch it until later. Then I was able to hear what people were talking about. Howard, to this day, Howard plays my stuff. You know, that started the ball rolling. Next thing, you know, record labels are looking for me. You know, you, you sign with a record label. Next thing, you're selling millions of records. With with the amount of the bootlegs, you know, it was it was written about as the largest bootleg ever larger than a grateful dead bootleg. And, and with that being said, it still sold millions of records because, because people, I guess they wanted to have it now on CD form. They wanted to have it now on a cassette that, that they, a brand new cassette where they could enjoy it, you know, cause most people's cassettes were worn out old and broken and worn out. And so when it was, com- when it came out on, on, uh, with the record company, people were very ecstatic about that. And, um, and it went on to sell multi platinum records uh Jerky Boys 1 2 3 you know they are all but um so yeah when that's happening and then you know you you see that happening and then you you're starting to understand you know these these terrific numbers and and multi platinum and all this other stuff now you're I'm making uh award award selling videos for Sony and MTV Disney Pictures and and uh, uh what the hell um Disney Pictures Caravan and uh, Touchstone. And you know, now you're getting calls from Tony Danza and Sony and and uh, all the major Hollywood companies to make a movie. Um, and that, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Blo- mind it's just, it's absolutely incredible.
1: These days, it's difficult to have any level of success and really be maintain an- anonymity, right? I mean, you know, once your stuff is out there, it's hard to, to keep your identity a secret. Do you, do you think that in the early days, the group benefited from that sense of anonymity from like, you know, like, for example, Howard, like not hearing this cool thing, but not knowing who it was or where it was from? Yes, I think
0: I think that was part of the mystique. And
1: I'll never forget,
0: I had a deal with Disney, when I did the motion picture, that I'm not allowed to show my face. We weren't allowed to show our faces. Which gets back to what you were saying. Disney wanted to capitalize on that very idea that the mystique and didn't want us to be seen until they saw us for the first time in the movie. So I had to wear like a bank robber. I had to wear bandanas all the time. I, 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 had, I, I did Woodstock. I did Woodstock '94 in front of like 500,000 screaming fans, and I took the microphone and I went on stage in front of all these hundreds of thousands of people, and I I I I, I did Saul Rosenberg because the place was a muddy mess. And as soon as I said a few words of Saul Rosenberg, the whole 500,000 people ah, screaming and yelling it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, and I'll never forget what was it, uh, Greg Allman looking over at me because the Allman brothers are getting ready to go on and he's got his head tilted sideways and he's looking at me like, can you, like, what the hell is that? And he's, and he's listening to me do my impressions. So that was very cool. That's a memory I'll never forget, looking over at Greg Ullman and he's looking at me like, what the, it's just amazing now when you look back through time, the amount of people that, uh, that the Jerky Boys has, and the, the, I guess the best thing is too, when people come to me and they say uh, in emails and, and in person, you know, Johnny, I tell you, you know, you, your work has got me through some very, very rough times. And I don't, I, I just want to say thank you for that. And that's always, the you know, one of the best parts of it. You know, when you create something that people really enjoy.
1: Was that the height of surreality for you? Was that, was that like the the strangest moment being at Woodstock and catching the attention of Greg Allman?
0: I, I, I've had a lot of
1: really great moments you know, tremendous. But uh, I just thought that was
0: funny because I could see it all over his face. He he sees me standing there with a a bandana on and I'm hiding my face and he hears all these characters.
1: Obviously, when when things start happening for you, they they happen really quickly. But, you know, were you able to, at the kind of height or at the ascent of it, were you able to take those moments to step back and appreciate just how completely bizarre what was happening to you was? Absolutely.
0: I mean... You, you know, you have every chance you get a few minutes to think, you know, you get a, you get a, a chance to process. Everybody's got a mission in this lifetime. Everybody's got something that, that you know, is, is going to be their their deal or it's going to be something that they create or they uh, something that they've, you know, something that they're they're specifically responsible for. And people look to them for that thing. I guess a good example would be like Eddie Van Halen. You know, it was a very specific thing that he did, created, sound. And just to be able to do something that's solely yours, you know, that you created and that people go nuts for, it's, it's kind of a special deal.
1: How bizarre was it when, you know, the fact that somebody was interested in turning it into a movie? I, I mean, that, that's the thing I think that really I, I, I would have had difficulty really wrapping my head around.
0: Well, that's typical Hollywood. Hollywood, you know, Tony Danza was the one that stepped up to the plate. You know, he's in New York. Yeah, Tony Danza. He's a he's a, you know, real New Yorker. And he saw the value in it right away. He was the one that flew me out to Los Angeles. And I had meetings with Tony and his company right off the bat. And uh, they just they just didn't understand it. They didn't. Sony didn't understand. He, they and and tony was i'll never forget tony banging on the table he's like what are you talking about is it you, you, you think it through you know you, you of course you can create something here and um by the end of the day i saw every major studio in in los angeles and it was uh emilio estevez uh was with disney and um right away they they just said absolutely we 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 can we can definitely make this make this happen and that's that's what we did and um you know, Jim, Jim Malconian directed the picture and we had some of the biggest talent on the planet that came forward to be a part of that motion picture that uh, you, you're talking William Hickey, Suzanne Shepard uh, from Goodfellas. You got Alan Arkin, you know, I mean, just a, a, a cast. You had Big Pussy from uh, Vinny Passore, Vinny Passore from The Sopranos. Uh, and the list goes on. You had Alan North. You had Brad Sullivan. From uh, these are all these are all
1: big time, you know, accomplished actors. In hindsight, do you think maybe you were a little overexposed? That maybe it was just it was too much at once. I don't think so. In comparison to other people, you know, it wasn't like uh, you know
0: I, it was it was just one movie. After the movie, I worked on uh, the, the platinum video I made uh, for Sony. Uh, called Don't Hang Up, Tough Guy. So it was never, you know, like constantly in your face. Where I've seen other acts, you know, have, they're, they're always in your face.
1: So, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I don't I don't feel that. When the movie, you know, maybe doesn't perform as, as well as you would hope it would, or, you know, doesn't get the, the, the reception perhaps you're hoping for, uh, how big of a setback is that for the project?
0: It's not, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me at all, because... You know, the fans, the fans got it. We weren't, we, did, we weren't setting out to make Gone with the Wind. So the, the fans, the fans, they got it. They. And the funny thing is now the movie has almost a five-star rating. So when you go back in time and you look at movies, I mean, some great movies, you know, like, uh, like some Jim Carrey comedies or some, the critics are always going to drag you through the mud. They don't want to hear about your comedy. They don't want to hear about your movies but I don't. I didn't. I didn't get shit. I that that that's. I had a blast doing it. I had a lot of fun. And I, I the movie gets more attention today than it did back then. So for for me, it's it's it's. I don't. I don't really get into all that that crap. But it was it was so much it was so much fun working with those people and actually making the movie.
1: You alluded to this a little bit earlier, and you said that there were people who were asking or or begging for you to to bring the project back in in album form. Did you always assume that that there was always going to be another record at some point down the line? I always thought I would do another record. I just didn't know when. And as something, it, it truly is something that you
0: have to feel. You can't you can't just. You can't just say, you know what, uh, you know, uh, today, uh, today, um, you know, I'm going to make myself by the end of two weeks. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put another record together. You can't, it doesn't work like that. You literally have to feel it. You got to feel it inside. You got to feel that you, you're really in the mood to be doing this, and um, or it does, it's just not going to work. You, you know, I can't, I can't even put my finger. I can't explain it. But you, you have to absolutely feel that you're going to enjoy doing this. You're going to really enjoy doing this, and you're just going to let it happen. I felt that way putting this together. So I, I felt really good about it.
1: But I've read that there was perhaps a bit of a kind of a personal falling out with Kamal at some point around 2000. Was it, was it just, was it creative differences? No, actually, and
0: um, it, it, it wasn't on my end. There's no, I, no personal, you know, uh, I, I had, you know, I, right. if you're grown men, you're grown men. You know, I, I can't I can't tell I can't tell Kamal what to do. You know, we were it was actually 1997 when when, when he officially left the group. It was January uh, 97, and it was um it, he just he was he didn't want to do it. So we were we were on our way back from Boston on a train, and he hands our manager a, a note, just a little note, and it said, "I'm done. I'm finished. I want out of here." And and that was it. And he went on to make, uh, he, he, I think he does, uh, he, he, I know he's directing or he's trying. He's a director and he does, uh, he writes his own pictures. So he writes and he directs. And I always wished him well. I always wished him well and, and, and wished him well with his projects. That's, you know, but I can't just stop the Jerky Boys. Uh, if you listen to all the Jerky Boys records, I mean, I do 95, 97% of the work on the records. So I can't just say, hey, you know, that's it. You know, because there are millions of fans out there, and I, I don't think they would ever want to see me do that.
1: For you, it's water, water under the bridge. But there's no, I, I assume there's no, there's no conversations around having him bring me back into collaborate.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, that would have to be a decision that that he would make. You know, it's not something I can tell him to do, or even you know ask him. You know, he's been you know reached out a, a couple of times, I'm sure. But it's not what he. It's not what he wants. It's it's going to have to be a decision he makes.
1: When you're doing The Family Guy, or when you're doing a film, or any of these other things, you know, they're more of a kind of a collaborative process. You know, it sounds like the process of The Jerky Boys when it's just you is is really solo. Do you miss having some kind of collaboration in the process of making calls?
0: Well, I never had collaboration. Anytime I've I've made a call, as far as. Uh, because when you're on, you're on. You're, 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 you're on your own. You're alone. Now, there's a couple of calls where we did duets, like where we're both in the call. And, um, there's, there's, and there are a few really good ones, like uh, uh, the, the one where I play his wife, and he's trying to rent a yacht, and we get to a yelling match, and, you know, my wife, she don't like them prices. And the next thing you know, I'm 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 cursing in the background as his wife, and we're getting to fights, or the other one with the television set, where, where you know touch it in the back. The guy said touch it in the back, and then the guy on the phone's like, no 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 no, nobody should be touching anything. And and my character gets electrocuted. My character Pico gets electrocuted. So there was a lot of really really uh, fun uh, bits that we we did together. But that's a different ball game when you're doing that together. You you're playing around together. That you're 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 playing with the characters together. But um, for the most part, w- you know when I'm when I'm going, I I just close my eyes. I don't even open my eyes. I just close my eyes and I just keep going until the skit is over. So you're really in that character. Yeah, yeah. And because like I said, no, I, nobody knows the characters better than me because they're all based on family members and you know friends, family members. Kissel, uh, old man Kissel is my uncle Vinny who was a, a a World War II uh, veteran. I actually dedicated Jerky Boys 5 to the memory of Kissel, my Uncle Vinny. When you're in these characters, I've always been a firm believer. You know, people, they want to hear me laugh while I'm doing a skit. But I don't, I, you know, Johnny, come on, man. How come you you never even crack up? You don't even laugh. You don't giggle. And I said, because when I'm doing this, I'm really, I'm in the, I'm in the character, and I'm, it's in real time, and it's really happening to this person, whether it be Saul, Frank, Jack, So I'm in the character, fully immersed in the character. Otherwise, to me, it's not going to work. You know, it's only going to be funny if people say that, how the hell did he, you know, how the hell did he keep him on the line? That's part of the process. You know, afterwards, afterwards, I might, there's probably a few calls where afterwards I, I hit the button and afterwards you'll hear me chuckle a little bit or laugh a little bit. But uh, for the most part, I don't ever laugh when I'm doing the skits.
1: Do the characters exist outside of the calls? I mean, do you do you find yourself kind of reverting into character at all in your daily life?
0: I do that a lot. I do that a lot. Although when I do it, it's not it's not with um, it's not with the characters that people would think. Oh, Johnny, I would, I could hear him doing a Saul. I could hear him doing a Frank. It's always some other character that's in my head that. I actually put one on the new album, um, and it's it's so wild and different. The character is just, I tell people, some people have already told me that that's one of their favorite tracks on the new album. It's it's a character that I would do if I was in the shower or driving down the road to get a cup of coffee. And um, it doesn't make a lot of sense, the character, but it's a very strange character. And I, if, if you listen to the new album, you'll hear it, when he, it's I, it's the character that's talking about. He made a baby grand, a, a grand piano, and he made it with his own hands and he made it from scratch. And I, I'm talking about making the piano using dirt and hemp. And I, I actually made all the wood myself. It's all fabricated by 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 me. And when you get a load of it, you hear that character. You'll see if you listen to it a couple of times. That's the kind of stuff I do by myself or when I'm when I'm thinking about something or I might just start talking in in, in another character, but as far as me talking or doing that in any of the like Frank Rizzo or, you know, if anyone, I might, I don't, I might do that mostly in big old Badass Bob, the cattle rustler, or I might do that in uh, my Jack Torse voice. But as far as Sal and Frank, I don't think I do that much or ever did it. Uh,
1: When I found out I was going to be talking to you and I was looking through some interviews, I found an article from, I think like 2015, where they, uh, the headline of the article is that the Jerky Boys could never exist today, which is obviously like I think the sentiment is that like you know they they don't think that you could start start today. Do, is there truth in that for you? Do Do you think that that something that that if the Jerky Boys had started in 2020, that it could have caught on in any sort of similar way?
0: You know, I think because of the product, because of because it, it is the Jerky Boys. I think absolutely i think it definitely because it would still be a breath of fresh air coming in it would be still very different but i do understand that's a very very good you know question but it was just magical the time that i hit because when i hit there was no internet when i hit you're talking about uh cassette tapes you're talking about back in 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 in, you know 70s 80s you know early 90s you know you know the internet didn't really stroll in uh, like on a on a on a great scale and do you, say, what, what would you say 95 96 sounds about right yeah so now you're talking you got the internet so I didn't have that luxury if you could if you really think about it think people had to make it I was viral before there was that word viral people had to make it people had to make it people had to make 20 copies People had to make 10 copies. People had to give them out, physically hand them to friends and their friends and their friends and their friends. And and that's that's how it happened. Uh, it was it was all word of mouth. It was word of mouth and, and, and it was the bootleg. And and that's it. That's the way it happened. And so think about that. So if it, if it came at an easier time where it's super easy, but it still has that difference. And it has all these wonderful characters. It's almost like a little Looney Tunes kind of thing. Um, there's a good chance. There's a good chance. But I do totally understand. It's, you know, I get it. I do get it.
1: I think there's the there's the technological aspect that you alluded to, but there's also thematically. You know, in terms of um, sensitivities and obviously, like you know, people's tastes in, in comedy uh, changing over the years. Do you think that? just in terms of some of the subject matter that was covered and the way that it was covered, that that would be, uh, throw up some red flags for people in the media landscape of 2020.
0: Yeah. You see, when I did this originally, first of all, I don't worry about that because I don't, I'm not, I'm not in the game of purposely going out there and being mean spirited and trying to hurt people's feelings and try to attack people and try to, uh, you do do stuff that's completely disrespectful to people. That's not what I do. What I do is I have characters, bunch of characters. I put them in crazy situations, and they get into these absurd scenarios. And um, and you know they they did this. They did this. this same thing was around back in 1993, 1994. The same thing was around then. They you know USA Today had a full center page ad. The Jerky Boys. The Jerky Boys are offensive. Offensive. And I said, this is the best thing that could ever happen to me because the truth of it is my fans will read that and say bullshit because my fans knew better. My fans know that none of that's true. And then Tipper Gore comes along, Al Gore's wife, and she says, we got to put warning labels on these jerky boys records so that the kids can't buy them. What do you think that did? That drove sales by the millions. The records sold by the millions because of those warning labels couple of F-bombs out of Frank Rizzo's mouth. You know, I'll wrap your fucking head in with a ratchet. He's a character. He's based on a real person. That's as, that's as crazy as it's going to get. But, um, but, yeah, it's, it's you know, you, it, the best way to put it, today, and even back then, if you get up in the morning and you're out there looking for something that's going to offend you, you're going to find it. You're going to find it. And I can't help you. I, can't, I, I do what I do if you don't want to listen to my my characters and you don't want to hear Saul Rosenberg and you don't want to hear Frank Rizzo that's your prerogative if it's going to, if I, I don't know how but if you're going to be offended by it that's your prerogative but i don't ever set out to do that to people i don't ever set out to hurt people or be mean spirited that's not me it's not what i do if they're if that's what they i, I don't get up in the morning looking
1: i guess what i would say is just like on a personal level um you know like i know that there are things that, that i feel like you know disagree that like i've i've kind of evolved and that that, that there are things that i probably said in like the nineties where I was like, Oh yeah, no, I absolutely would, would not say that now. Is there, is there anything you feel though that maybe made it onto a record that you've evolved since that, that maybe, you know, that maybe you wouldn't have said or done at the time? Not that I can think
0: of. Um, You know, I think back and I think of the records and, you know, again, it was just, a situation you know and especially me if you compare me to any anybody or any any big comedian out there like you know if you look at dice clay or you you look at any of these yeah I don't I don't that's not what I do I I I do my characters and they say they don't say things they don't say they didn't say things back then that like now I'm oh man geez I wish I wouldn't have said that because I didn't. I don't have anything back then that I, I look back on and say, wow, that's not, you know, that's, uh, geez, you know, because that's not, I wasn't interested in that my humor was self deprecating humor.
1: It's got to be hard line to walk. I mean, it, it sounds like you aren't necessarily super conscious of the fact when you're doing it, but it, it's got to be hard line to walk with, with, you know, a character that like, to some degree is, is a stereotype to, to, to do that without it kind of being a little mean-spirited was was that was that something at, at the very least that uh, when you were doing the recording that you were you were conscious of not at all not at all
0: it was a family friend and when I was just a little kid I, when he would come over speaking to my mom I would pick up on his nuances and I thought it was I thought it was amazing I thought the way he spoke and his mannerisms I actually was just a little kid I was like that's so freaking cool and also, like I said, growing up in Astoria, I, I, I picked up on all the dialect and the, the Greeks and, and, you know, the Spanish. And I, as, as a little kid, I was soaking all that stuff in. And that's how I grew up doing all these different voices and characters. Never once in my head did I say, hey, I'm going to be mean spirited.